sermon um, in a series where we're going to be doing something a little bit different. We're going to be looking at the songs of Advent. Um, now, when you go shopping over this next month, you are bound to hear Christmas music coming out of the speakers. During this time, we are all, for better or worse, subjected to a steady stream of white Christmas, oh holy night, and rocking around the Christmas tree. This is simply the world that we have to live in. We just have to, uh, we have to all deal with that. Um, and regardless of the quality of those songs that are played over those overhead speakers that haven't been replaced since the 90s, um, there is actually a tradition of songs sung during Advent that goes all the way back to the very beginning. Um, to the very first Advent found in the Gospel according to Luke. Now you may not realize, but Luke actually kicks off his Gospel with quite a few musical numbers. Um, if the first two chapters of Luke f were adapted for the theater, they would definitely, you'd have a musical on your hands. Um, in these chapters, both men and women are given the spotlight, not to mention an entire army of angelic beings who actually radiate so much light they don't even need a spotlight. Um, <laughs> But why all the songs? You know, what, what event would prompt both heaven and earth to just burst out into song? Um, so over the next few weeks, as we look over the lyrics of these songs, we will see that each is filled with wonder at the glory and faithfulness of Yahweh, the God of Israel. God is doing something new and amazing, and those who witness this new creation are astonished. The good news they hear is just too good to be contained. Something is arriving and a new dawn is coming. And so today we're going to be looking at Zachariah's song. Um, before you read his song, though, I'm just going to introduce Zachariah a little bit, give a bit of his story, because right at the start of Luke's gospel, um, Luke sets the scene. There's a priest named Zachariah who's uh, married to uh, his wife, whose name is Elizabeth, and both are actually from the priestly line. Um, they are also Torah-following, law-abiding citizens, and yet, in spite of this devotion to Yahweh and his law, there is a problem. Um, you would think that the God of Israel would just shower these two, this couple with blessings because of how faithful they are to him. But, in fact, though Zechariah and Elizabeth long for a child, God has never given them one. And now they are both well-advanced in years, and Elizabeth is past childbearing, and their hope for a child has now become an impossible dream. But in spite of these unfulfilled long, this unfulfilled longing to be parents, Zechariah never stopped serving at the temple, and Elizabeth's faithfulness to Yahweh is never shaken. And so Luke sets a scene where a number of priests have been called their division, so Zechariah's division is called into the temple, to do service. And what happens is essentially each, there's so many priests that you only have to go in twice a year for a week. And so it happens to be Zechariah who it's, it's uh, his division's turn. And it also happens to be that his name is cast with lots, so like dice, and his name is called to go into the temple to, um, to manage the incense that's being burned. And so he's there in the sanctuary, which is not the holy of holies, but it's the second most holy space. And he is there before the temple, uh, before the altar, and he's, he's lighting the incense candle. And as he's lighting, um, the people are praying outside the temple. And I don't know if they're praying for his safety or what, but they are praying for him. And that's, that's a common theme that we've seen, right, as we go through our Acts series, 
that Luke brings into his writing is that prayer is important. At times of prayer, important things happen. And so here we have Zacharias lighting the incense, and all of a sudden, a heavenly being just appears to the right of the altar, and Zechariah, in spite of being a priest, and in spite of being in the temple, right, the place where God's glory dwells, is just shocked out of his wits when this angel appears. But the angel named Gabriel, he's not wielding a sword. He's not coming with a message of destruction. No, his message is one of good news. God has heard the prayers of Zechariah and his wife, and they are going to have a child. And this child is to be named John. And John will not just be any child. Oh no, unlike the multitudes of parents over the ages, Zachariah and Elizabeth can truly say that their son is special because John is going to be a prophet for God, for God himself. John is destined to go before Yahweh to prepare people's hearts for Yahweh's return. And Zachariah is astonished at this, but unfortunately, he's not speechless yet because he starts challenging the angel's words and reminds the angel that he and his wife are well advanced in years. And this, this rubs Gabriel the wrong way. He says to Zechariah that from now on until the birth of his son, he's not going to be able to talk because he didn't believe in the message. And this naturally ends the conversation. Um, Zechariah leaves the temple unable to speak. This was truly the very first silent night. Um, <laughs> eventually, Elizabeth does give birth to a boy, and Zechariah writes out his name is to be John, um, just as the angel instructs. And the moment he does this, Zechariah is able to speak. Um, and after nine months of being forced into silence, shockingly, Zechariah, he doesn't curse God. No, it seems that that time of silence during Elizabeth's pregnancy has made Zechariah more prayerful um, because he opens his mouth and just a beautiful song of prophecy and blessing come out. And so let's read, let's start by reading Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 67. It says, Then, oh, you're on it, nice, thank you. Um, Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. Salvation from our enemies and from the hands of those who hate us. So right from the start, Zechariah is blessing the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel, because something has happened that has brought redemption and salvation for his people. It says that God has raised up a horn of salvation in the house of his servant David. Now, a horn is an image that's used in the Bible to refer to a powerful leader. And Luke tells us right from the start that Zechariah is from the priestly line, right? The line of Abijah and Aaron, which is not the line of David. So the question then is, who, who is this? Because it can't be John. Who is this horn that's been raised? And what I didn't mention in my recap of Zechariah, Zechariah's story is that while Elizabeth is enjoying the rare, a rare pregnancy where her husband is silent for nine months, she receives news from a relative, a young woman named Mary who is not married, is a virgin, and yet has become pregnant miraculously. Just like how God created life in Elizabeth's womb, though she was well past the age of getting pregnant, God has created life in Mary's womb, though she had not yet had an opportunity to get pregnant. 
Life should not exist in either of their wombs, and yet a miracle has happened. And next week, Ashton's going to be walking us through Mary's story and song, but I do want to say that before Mary visits Elizabeth, she is told by an angel, the same angel that actually visits Zechariah, that she's going to have a son, and this child will grow to become a king of an eternal kingdom. And so Zechariah perceives that somehow, by this child's arrival, by the child of Mary, a king has come, a horn has been raised, and Yahweh, the God of Israel, is visiting his people. God is coming back. Because you see, the story of Israel is a story of rebellion. It's a story where they felt like God had abandoned his people because they continued to rebel against God. The people listened to the crafty temptations of the gods of other nations and had taken from the tree of idolatry and injustice that they were not supposed to take. And so Yahweh removed his protection from his people and they were driven out of the garden of the promised land into the land of exile into Babylon for many, many years. And the temple was destroyed and all seemed to be lost. But eventually, in the Old Testament, we read that a king does come who sends them back to Israel and they rebuild the walls, they rebuild the temple, but God's glory just doesn't seem to be coming back in the same way that it had before. And so for hundreds of years, the people of Israel continue to feel like they're living in exile, even though they're living in their own land. And in fact, while Zechariah sings this song, the Romans have occupied and they're the ones who are ruling over the people. Here in Zechariah's song, we find that Zechariah sees the birth of Mary's boy as the return of God. This is truly the signaling of the end of exile. Yahweh has not abandoned his people. For Zechariah, he understands that by Yahweh establishing his king, the foreign enemies who rule with fear and threaten with death, they will be dealt with. Which, this is a very physical salvation that Zechariah describes in this verse one of freedom from tyranny and human powers. And as we continue reading the song, we actually will see a spiritual element come into play. But for now, I think that we can say that in Advent, the season of waiting for the Messiah, we can see that Yahweh wants to rescue us. Rescue is on Yahweh's mind. He wants to redeem his people. And as followers of King Jesus, the Christian church is adopted into the family of God, so we get to experience this freedom too. And one day Jesus will return and set the world to right. Cruel powers will be dethroned and peace will reign. So Zechariah wasn't out to lunch when he envisioned a physical salvation from political enemies. The good news of Jesus is political. The Son of God is, co- is the coming king of the world. But there is another element to Jesus' arrival, an element that stirs not just hearts, or not just thrones, but it stirs hearts. And so let's keep reading. Verse 72, it says, He has dealt mercifully with our ancestors and remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant that we, having been rescued from the hands of our enemies, would serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. And so here Zechariah is pointing back to the Old Testament, back to the father of the Jewish people, a man named Abraham, whose wife Sarah was barren like Elizabeth, and yet Abraham and Sarah are also promised a son. And further to this, God promises that though Abraham's descendants would experience a time of enslavement in a land and would suffer, that God would free them. And God later then speaks to a descendant of Abraham named Moses. He speaks to him on a mountain, 
in a burning bush, right? And uh, we, uh, uh, in our Exodus series, Ashlyn talked about that scene. And so there, God speaks to Moses from this burning bush and promises him that he would free the people so that they can serve and worship him on this mountain. And so here, Zechariah is merging these two promises made to Abraham and Moses, that God has remembered his promise, and though it might seem like God has abandoned his people, he hasn't. Though Israel caved into acts of idolatry and injustice while living in the land, Yahweh, he wants to redeem and repair that relationship. He wants people to return to him and worship without fear. Though it might seem that God has forgotten his oath, Zechariah understands that the birth of this king is proof that God has remembered his promises. Salvation is near. God is restoring the relationship that Israel broke. And so in Advent we see that Yahweh wants to reconcile with us. It's not just the people of Israel that God wants to turn to him. Yahweh is calling all people to repent of actions that bring death and darkness into the world. No matter what your religious background, we all contribute to hurt and pain in our world. But Yahweh, the God of Israel, the creator of the world, wants to bring us back into relationship with him. To reject the powers of darkness and selfishness that we serve and instead to turn to him. And the warning that the early church gives the people in the book of Acts that we might, if we keep going through our Acts series, we might end up hitting is when they speak to the people of the nations, the good news. It is the good news is that the God of Israel, the creator of the world, has appointed a king, his son, and that son is going to come back to rule the world. And so the call is for all the world to turn from acts of destruction and death and find out that God is not far from any one of us. He is so close to each one of us. We only need to repent, and he is there to bring us into relationship with him. You are his child, and he loves you. And Zechariah knows this love of a father to a child, and so let's read as he sings to his son. He says, And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give his people knowledge of salvation, through the forgiveness of their sins. Here we see that Zechariah knows his son's going to play an important role in the salvation that God is rolling out. We see that through repenting of those actions that lead to death and pollute our community, that is where salvation is found. This is not just a salvation of a physical, political system. This is a salvation of the heart, of the forces that war in each of us that cause us to wound each other. But what John's role shows us is that God does not roll out his plan of rescue alone. Yahweh is partnering with humanity. And how does he do this? Well, if we read, we have already actually read that um, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit as he's, as he's prophesying. And later at the end of this passage, we read that the child grows up and it becomes strong in the Spirit. And that, that word for spirit is the same word that's used Uh, and talking about the Holy Spirit. So it could be that he grows strong in his heart um, and who he is as a person, um, but I think it's something more than that. Uh, Because, in fact, actually, when the angel speaks to Zechariah, he says that John will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from the womb. But this plan to empower humanity through giving of God's Spirit doesn't actually end with those two people. It doesn't end with Zechariah and John. In fact, the Spirit is present with Mary uh, in the birth of Jesus, and the Spirit falls on Jesus at his baptism later in Luke. And then in Acts, we actually already saw how 
Jesus pours out his spirit on his church. It says that while he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water. This is that John that grows up eventually. Uh, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. And so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus' plan for restoration of his people comes via his followers being strengthened with the promised Holy Spirit that gets poured out onto them. And so in Advent, we see that Yahweh wants to partner with us. Followers of Jesus get to play a role in this new salvation. We're not just spectators to it. The same Holy Spirit that was on Zechariah and John in the first Advent is on all of us now. We too can bring God's healing and restoration to the world by his strength. And so we can go before the Lord Jesus, making the world ready for his return, calling people to turn back to him. The message of the gospel is good news. And Zechariah, he knows this, and he closes his song with these final two verses, he says, Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us, to shine on those who live in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. We serve a God who rescues, remembers, and reconciles, and he does this because he is filled with compassion. Zechariah foresaw that in this horn of salvation from David's family, in the person of Jesus, the very sunrise of heaven, I just love that image, the sunrise of heaven was coming down to visit a world living in darkness. Zechariah knew that the world that he lived in was not right. Humanity was and still is today ruled by blinding fear of death. We do crazy things in order to preserve our lives. But in sending the light of heaven to the world, Yahweh was giving his people light to see a road, a highway that would lead to peace. And Jesus, the Son of God, was the light that was to show the way. And oftentimes, I think we in church tend to interpret that peace as kind of a steps to peace with God kind of peace. But while I think that we do need to allow peace to reign within our relationships with us and God, I think that Luke points out that it's not just peace with God, but peace with each other. Um, When the angel first talks to Zechariah in the temple, he says um, this about John. He talks about how Um, In verse 15, he will be uh, great in the sight of the Lord. He's never going to drink wine or beer. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. So that's reconciliation with God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So that, that peace, to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, sounds like peace within family relationships. Sounds like reconciliation, not just for the creator of the world, but for each other, for families within our households and beyond. And so when John grows up, he baptizes people with water to symbolize their repentance. And when asked how should they be producing fruit consistent with that repentance, he tells the people to share their food and clothing, to not swindle others, and to not take money by force. This is the kind of peace that Jesus wanted. Interpersonal peace that looks out for neighbors, peace that is not self-seeking but delights in the truth. The kind of peace that releases past grievances, that lets go of bitterness, gives an ear to the hurting. Peace that is like a tree planted 
by living water, whose leaves do not wither, and birds find refuge in its branches. But as we read the Gospel of Luke, we will see that the kingdom of peace that Jesus taught was one that people were not ready for. Back in my Palm Sunday sermon, we looked at Jesus' approach to Jerusalem in Luke and how he was going to face the suffering of his enemies, that his enemies had planned for him. And he weeps because the people don't recognize God's visitation. And the way, it says specifically, that the way to make peace is hidden. And so, but that's not the end of the story, because Jesus, when he's raised to life in spite of his suffering, he allows for that way of peace to still be open. And so since there is still a way for peace, a way of rest that we can find, we can strive to enter into that. And so let's accept the invitation to seek the way of the kingdom, the way of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, because it's ultimately the way of the cross, where we die to our selfish desires in order to breathe life into our family, our church, and our communities, and our relationship with God. And so in Advent, we see that Yahweh wants to guide us into peace. And so will you hear the call of Yahweh? Will you hear his word made flesh? The Son of God, born and a prophet, um, has been sent to prepare his way. God has visited his people. He has remembered his promise. He has partnered with humanity, and he has illuminated the path to peace. So this Advent season, will you join with Zechariah in longing for the physical and spiritual salvation that God promises? Will you trust that God has not forgotten you? Will you allow his spirit to empower you? And will you let go of bitterness that blinds and look to the illuminated path of peace? If you take only one thing from Zechariah's song, take this. Through the birth of Jesus, God is visiting his people to set up a kingdom of peace. Will you be a part of that kingdom? Will you let your feet be guided into the way of peace? Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you that Zachariah had the boldness to sing this song. We thank you that um, his moments of silence made him think about you and your plan of salvation. And so, God, I just pray that we would be thinking of that during this Advent season, that we would be longing to be drawn into this new kingdom, this way of peace, and that we would be people who would seek your kingdom first above all else. And so... God, I thank you that um, we have much more songs to look at this Advent season and that there's more to proclaim. And so I pray that you continue just to turn our hearts to you and to what you did 2,000 years ago. Um, We thank you for the joy, the hope, the peace um, that this season brings. And so we thank you that you are present with us. You are Emmanuel. In your name.